um, they're, they're the kinds of questions that get at the core of who we are, at the core of what we're about. When I say I want a putting green in the backyard, I mean, it's because I can't putt, but I like to try, you know? I need, I need the work. I, it's beautiful, and I, I love, you know, outdoor stuff, and it's a part of me growing up, and all these years I spent getting good at golf, and now all these years I've spent getting better at parenting and being terrible at golf, um, or at least being poor, so I can't play. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's these things built into our lives, and so we start talking about, I mean, who is, I think that, uh, uh, I think you named both the walk-in closet and the clothes. Well, I'm surprised you didn't get, we would have got the hangers eventually if we would have kept going, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, they have to be the wooden hangers, right? Because you beat your children with the wire ones, and you don't, you don't want to do that. <clears throat> And so when, when, we, when we ask these kinds of questions, what, what happens to us is it triggers something in us. And it triggers those things that we want. But it doesn't just, <clears throat> what we tend to do is stay superficial and go, oh, that was fun thinking about that. Now let's go back to our ramen noodles, right? And that's, that's what we get to eat today. And that's not what we're having at my house. But um, it, it, it triggers those thoughts in us. It gets us thinking about, what we want, what we long for. What is it you really long for? We've had everything from, you know, these really good things to, to things that are kind of selfish, right? They, they're kind of like just splurging on ourselves. And, and there's different ways we can think about it. it, it and I want to put it this way. Every earthly longing is a version of our longing for God. The, the reality about us is this, is we were built, we were created for a relationship with God. We're created for it. It's like having a child is created to have a relationship with a mother. And so now when we're having, you know, everyone in Hollywood is having somebody else be a surrogate mom for their baby because they don't want to, you know, get fat and then they can't go act or they don't want to get stretch marks. They don't want to. And so er everything starts to change and it's changing the very nature of the, the relationship that we're intended to have between child and mother. And it doesn't matter that it's Father's Day. Fathers, you have to admit there's just something we can't do. I mean, you, you can't breastfeed your child. And if you go and get some apparatus to make that happen, it's dumb. God didn't give you that. It's meant to be something and let it be what it is and let that relationship stay what it's supposed to be. Let the nearness be what it is. That's what we, we want that. And then what happens to us is that God created us and then we rebelled against God. It's all the way back at the beginning of the Bible and it's all the way through the Bible where it's continually what people do and it's still even what God's people do. As we go back to Israel and see how God's people react, you have Jesus and his disciples, and for three years he's teaching them, and then what happens? He goes to the cross, and what do they do? Oh, no, I don't want to die too. And then, it's, you know, it's like this, this sort of panic, and they all kind of scatter. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's not abnormal for us to have that happen because sin is a part of who we are now. It's rebellion. It's not just... I commit a sin. It's I don't want to give God credit. It's I don't want to have a relationship with my creator. It's you gave birth to me, but I've decided to reject you as the one who did that. And that's just the normal state of humanity. It is the common state of our culture and the cultures around the world. 
it's very rare to have a culture anymore where it's set differently than that. And when it is, it's often domineering. You know, and you think about, uh, you know, cultures in which, and we still go back even to the laws that we have in America and to some, you know, some places, some, and those laws aren't followed anymore, but there's laws on the books still where you just, you know, there are certain things you can't do and cannot do, and they're odd. You ever gone and looked and seen those stories in the news where there's still some law somewhere? And it's like, you can't eat pickles on a Wednesday. And, and it's because one day there was this great pickle festival on a Wednesday and a bunch of kids got sick. And so they made up a law that said you can't eat pickles on a Wednesday. And it's probably not a real law, but it's like that, right? You guys have heard those stories. And, and, and so sin has distorted our longing. Because of sin, it's distorted it so that now we keep recreating the world around us or our families or our relationships so that our longings are, are, we're trying to fulfill our longings in something other than God. Every earthly longing is really a version of our longing for God, but sin distorts it so that instead of that longing uh, and us looking at God and saying, that's, the, that's where it's going to be fulfilled. We fulfill it in something else. And we fulfill it in things like our dream house, just as an example. That's why I brought it up, just so it kind of triggers in us. That's, that's how we think. It's, it's a fun game to play, and we want that. But even that idea is not foreign to who we are. And, and here's what I mean. When you talk about your dream house, what, do you, what are the kind of major themes we thought about? Space. Right To be able to, to do things, whether it's outdoors or, or whether it's things like swimming or, or playing or just, just, just enjoying life. Having some type of satisfaction in our experience as humans. That longing is not bad. It's just that we don't take it far enough by buying mansions. Buying a mansion is not taking that longing far enough. You're settling. That sounds, that sounds weird, doesn't it? You're settling for a, a $10 million mansion rather than what you could really have. And, and that's what sin does, is it teaches us to settle. It teaches us to go for something that will, uh, that will wet our palates, that we can drink, but will leave us thirsty. We went to Six Flags this week, and you get like the you know, the $200 cup that you can refill, uh, you know, as much as you want. And they're still making bundles of money off of you because it's so much money to buy the cup itself, even though the drinks after that are free. And so, you know, we have these cups and then you go back and you fill it with like Coke or you fill it with lemonade or you fill it with whatever and you keep drinking it. And eventually you're like, I need some water. Like the whole day Molly's going, it was like 95 degrees. It was, it was hot. You know, you're on asphalt. And Molly's like, you know, you can go there and get water put, put in there. You don't have to keep putting soda in there, which of course isn't good for you. And then doesn't it, you, you just keep getting thirstier. It doesn't satisfy. You have a longing, you have a need. And sin has taught you to go sugar and fizz and Coke and whatever. And we really need water. But we live in this world in which we keep trying to satisfy eternal thirsts with temporal drinks. We live in a world in which we keep trying to satisfy eternal thirsts with temporary drinks. And 
what we call that is we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. That's called idolatry. You take a good thing, something that we can enjoy, and then we make it an ultimate thing in which that's what we're trying to achieve. And this is why it's kind of like the whole bucket list idea or eventually, I mean, I remember when I was a kid and my dad um, would say things like, I just, I, the, I want that day to come where I'm the one driving the Cadillac, where everybody looks at me in our 11,000 person town and they say, he's, he's gotten there, you know, he, he's driving the big car now. And he, he never quite said it that way, but you understand how we want that. We want that status thing. And on a nice day like today, you're going to see guys out on motorcycles. They're going to be really loud, and uh, you know they're going to be trying to impress people, and they're hoping that people will look, and they'll say that they've achieved something. We were driving past this car that the, the trunk was, was locked shut through leather belts, belt buckles, like real belt buckles. And it was, it was, it was all like tricked out. I mean, it was really cool, the whole car. And so we're like driving behind it, going, kids, check out the trunk. And the trunk has these leather belts. It's, it was so cool. And everybody's looking. There's a motorcycle like driving next to him, like looking at the guy like, yeah, that's awesome, dude. You know, he's telling them. And we want that. But what, what we do is it's idolatry. Idolatry is not just something in some foreign land where people have little statues and they go and they bow before them. Idolatry is what happens in our hearts whenever we make a good thing, an eternal thing, or an ultimate thing. Whenever we take the ultimate thing that is God and replace him with something else. And so what we need to do as people is realize how we have created this problem for ourselves. I'm going to read to you out of Jeremiah. You don't need to turn there, but this might be a, a something you might want to write down and look at again, meditate upon Jeremiah chapter 2. This is what the Lord says. He says, for my people have committed two evils. Okay? Two evils. What are they? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. What's the fountain of living waters? Eternal life? You're never thirsty, Right? Yeah, well, don't, don't get ahead of me now, Edna. You don't want to give away all the answers. <laughs> My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And then listen to the second part. And, and this is a great word. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So, so what are the two evils? You've got God, who has the fountain of living water. So it's springing up. It's, it's abundant. It's free. It's available. It's good. It's satisfying. And then what have we done? We've rejected that and gone, you know what? The great big thing of fresh water that makes me live forever is right there. But you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather dig out a cistern in the ground that's broken. And when I pour water into it, it's just going to go right into the ground. I mean, that was what the ground has been like lately until last night, right? Where the ground was so dry. 
and we were trying to water that rose bush outside of our house. It was just looking so dried up. And so we're trying to water it. We've got a hose that only goes so far. Then you got to put the thing on the end to try to squirt. And it's like all of your power just to get all the water all the way out there. And you water that thing for like 10 minutes. And then we, we leave for like an hour. And I come back and I kind of look at the ground around it. And it's just dry. And that's what we've actually chosen, God says here. That's what God's people have actually chosen when um, he speaks to Jeremiah. They have chosen to forsake God, the fountain of living water, and to instead make for yourself a container that can't contain water. It's made to look like a container, but it's a dribble glass, and it's all through, right? It's just, it's like, it's like look at this, I've got this sieve, and I'm going to hold my water in it so I can drink, and it, We've, we've, we've rejected God for another God. We've rejected his living water for something that can't hold water. But this is what it says in Psalm 34. Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you ever, uh, you know, we have four kids and they're all at those ages where like Sarah will pretty much try anything and eat anything and she's good with all kinds of foods. And Jack is the one that doesn't matter what it looks like if he hasn't had it before. He does not want it. And so we're like, take a bite. Like, I just don't, I, I just, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I was a really picky eater. And, and so it, that, was, that was not good. And so I, when my kids are not doing it, I'm like, you're going to take a bite. I mean, we had one night where we were sitting around the table eating. And I made every kid put like a pea-sized thing of wasabi in their mouth and eat it. Like, everybody's going to know wasabi tastes like after this. And guess who likes wasabi? A lot, a lot of our kids are like, yeah, you know, it's like wasabi, whatever. They're starting to get that spice. It's starting to get, you got, you got, to, you got to try it. Right? You got to try it. When you try the Lord, when you taste, taste that idea of food, when you go and you have that, that food and you just go, wow. I mean, that was so good. Anybody had that experience just recently where you went and had something and you were like, oh, wow. Like, that was delicious. Like, when you have the burger I make today, you're going to be like, you're the greatest man that's ever lived other than Jesus. It's amazing. And where did you get these burgers? I'll be like, Sam's. And you'll go, wow. <laughs> part of the reason God gives us taste, the part of the reason God gives us thirst, part of the reason God gives us hunger, the part of the reason God gives us the desire that we look at a mansion and go, I want to have something with many rooms is because God has the food that n leaves you never hungry again. God has the water that leaves you never thirsty again. God sent his son into the world to die for you so that you'll be forgiven, so that you'll have eternal life. And then Jesus leaves and he says what to his disciples? I am going to prepare a place for you. What does he describe it as? A mansion. What you want is found in God. And you're settling for broken cisterns, for something 
clay and shattered and you're pouring your water into it and it's going away. And God has all that you need to drink and never be thirsty again. Remember what we read? Remember what we read where Jesus is talking in John 4? This is where we get to John 4. And, it, and, and it's got this woman and he's like, can you give me a drink? And so she's like, why are you asking me for a drink? And there's the whole Samaritan issue. We're not going to get into all of that. But Samaritans are half-breeds and the Jews don't have anything to do with them. They think they're filthy. They're like dogs. And then Jesus asked her for a drink, which would be considered filthy. You wouldn't take water from a Samaritan. And so that, first of all, shocks her. But then he, he, she goes and, you know, she's going to give this drink. But here's, here's what it says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, there's something I want you to get. As I ask you for this, he then uses it to turn the conversation to talk about himself. Because he has come to be the giver of living water. Now, it's coming in his death, right? He's pointing to salvation that's coming through his death. And all salvation comes through Christ. It's not different in the Old Testament and different in the New Testament, and it's changed over time. It's never changed. It's always been by faith alone in Christ alone. When you don't know who the Christ is, you still know the promise is there. The seed of Eve, the one who's going to sit in the throne of David, this, you know, the child of Abraham, etc., etc. So all the promises were for the Messiah to come. And then when he does come, he says, I'm asking you for water, but if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me. Because you're going to give me water and I'm going to be thirsty again. But I could give you water and you'd never thirst again. The Samaritans had their own kind of worship. Matter of fact, it talks about that here in John 4. They had their own, their own sort of way of worshiping, their own mountain to worship on, their own, their own thing. And it's kind of a blend of some, some things with Judaism and some other stuff. And it's not what it's supposed to be. Which is why Jesus says, you know, one day people are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be on this mountain or that mountain. It's, it's, it's in a, uh, a time of changing. There's not going to be the nation of Israel. Now we're, I can go and, and we can be in any country of the world and we can be worshiping God wherever we are because um, he is with us through his spirit. And, and so you have in, in this passage, you have uh, Jesus talking about not just thirsting but about the stuff that will make you never thirst and then she says to him at the end the woman said to him sir give me this water so that i will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water and what she's thinking is is right now you're going to give me something so i'll truly never thirst she doesn't realize that the thirst he's talking about is a is a deeper thirst he's using the the thirst that we all have it doesn't matter how much jesus i have when I go and coach a baseball game in 90 degree weather, I'm going to get thirsty and I have to drink, right? Or I'm going to get sick and get ill. I'm going to die eventually if I don't take care of things. And so while we have these earthly needs, we're trying, we're trying to, to take those needs and put them together with what do we truly need that that points to. Here's the thing. What we're talking about today is the goodness of God. God is good, okay? But you don't believe it. How many of us would say we believe God is good, right? I mean, I, I would be like both hands. Can I raise one of my feet? I'm not flexible anymore. But, you know, I mean, that's like, yes. How many times have I said in my life, you know, God is so good? 
and look at the things that he's done, and look at the things he's provided, and look at the family we have, and look at the, the, just keep going on and on. Yes, God is good. But the problem is, is that no matter how good he is, and no matter how much we say we believe it, in day-to-day life, you're looking elsewhere. You're looking for something else. That's what idolatry is. That's what building your own mansion is. We're not satisfied with the mansion that's to come because we truly don't believe as much as we say we believe it. If God is really that good, if he's really providing that place, if he's really going to do all of these things, if we've really tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then we're not going to look somewhere else to satisfy our longing. We're not going to look somewhere else. We're not going to look in some relationship to satisfy our longings. We're not going to look for some fling to satisfy our longings for some adulterous relationship. We're not going to look at at, at buying something new to satisfy our longings. We're not going to look at uh, having somebody give me praise and, and to talk about how great I am so that I'm satisfying some longing. All those longings are ultimately fulfilled in God and through Christ. And yet we don't believe it. We keep looking elsewhere. We keep trying to find other things. And, and here's the problem. Sin offers us a lot. We, we don't sin just, you know, we're just, well, just didn't think. No, you did think. That's why you sin. That's why you sin in general. That's why you go and do those things. And I'm talking to my kids, you know, and I, I don't want them, I'm having this talks even this week, and I, I don't want them to go, oh, I did something wrong, and, it's, and, and I'm, dad's not happy with me. I want them to realize, ultimately, it's through that that God's not happy with them. I, I, I tell my kids all the time, they're rotten sinners, you know, because they are. And they're like everybody else. And we're all in need of that grace. And when we stop telling our kids how rotten they truly are, when we just, all we do is praise them and try to lift them up. And all we do is like, hey, you know what? We just gotta, gotta make them feel better, have higher self-esteem. I want my kids' esteem to be absolutely in the dirt so that they look to God alone. Your self-esteem will be just fine when you realize that God is pleased with you. But it's not. Because God's goodness is not enough for you. You're looking elsewhere. You're looking elsewhere, and so am I. And so the key word here is satisfaction. We need to find out how to be truly satisfied. And it comes down to this. When, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he is saying, you're trying to find satisfaction in something else. Not only is she there and she's thirsty and has to go get water and she has to go take it to her house and whatever else. But then Jesus talks to her and he's like, you know, you know why don't you go uh, get your husband? And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you have like, five husbands, and then now you've got a live-in boyfriend, right? And you've got this whole, like, wow. Jesus has revealed to her what he knows about her. And the woman's like, you know, I perceive that you're a prophet. Like, well, obviously, like, he, he understood. What is she doing? Why would she have all these husbands and then have another? 
despite trying to figure out exactly what's happened in the relationship, whether she's not been treated well by men or whatever else it is, what's she doing? She's, she's trying to satisfy a longing, a good longing, a godly longing, and she's trying to fulfill it in the wrong way. She's trying to fulfill it in the wrong way. She has godly longings, at, at least at its core, that there's, it's aimed toward God, but then she settles for less. What, what Jesus gives us, what God offers us, ultimately, is himself. And that doesn't sound good to you. But I know how it sounds. It doesn't sound good to you. Because everything else around you looks so good. Everything else is so quick. And we just sang a song that says, blessed be your name, even when like, it's really bad and there's darkness and I'm suffering. Go into the world and see how well that message plays out. I'm calling you to a life of suffering. Who's in? Right? It just doesn't play out well. And if it does play out well, it's usually because somebody has a false idea of either God or religion or the world in which they find their identity in doing some service in which they'll suffer, but they're still doing it for their glory and not for God's. It's still the same problem. They're settling for a lesser thing. And the truth of God and his goodness is that he's not just plainly good, he's better than everything else. We don't just say, God's good and so is cheese. Right? Like we don't say, you know, I love my wife and I love, you know, like Elijah yesterday ate a McDonald's cheeseburger in like eight seconds. It was like a bull ride, you know, or he, he lasted to eight seconds, but just barely. We got done with baseball. He's like, I haven't eaten in seven hours. And I was like, we're stopping on the way, you know, and so... We got him a cheeseburger, and I said, I said uh, you know, how's your burger? And he's like, gone. <laughs> That's exactly what he said. <clears throat> it's not we just say, God's good. But we have to say he's better than everything else. He's the true source of joy. There, it, it, it's not just quenching your thirst. It is quenching something that thirst points to. Thirst points to something deep inside of us. People will say, like, we're, we're created with a God-shaped hole in our heart. It's not, I mean, that's a weird way to put it. Because what we were created for was a relationship with God, and then we've ripped it away from him and tried to live life our own way without him. And, and so what we need is we need to realize everything that we're trying to find satisfaction is isn't providing satisfaction. That's it. I mean, that's just it. And we'll stop looking elsewhere. God is good, so, so we don't have to look at anything else or anyone else for our satisfaction, for the goodness that we need. We don't have to look anywhere else. God alone. Jesus says, in me alone I'm the one who can give you the living water. You have all of these husbands. You're looking for something, but it's not there. You keep going and trying to find it. It's not there. You're worshiping in this place. It's not there. It's in me, Jesus says. Because he's going to a cross in which he's going to do the one thing. And, and let me say it this way. 
Jesus gave up the one thing that would truly satisfy him. Which is what? It wasn't life. Right? Because he had life. He's God. So he's existed forever. So it wasn't life. What did Jesus give up? The thing that would truly satisfy him. The Father. Again, we said this last week. What does Jesus say on the cross? Why have you forsaken me? And, and so Jesus gives up the one thing that truly satisfies him, and he knows so much how much God satisfies him that when he's tempted by Satan in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, when he's tempted, every time Satan says, stuff, power, you know, turn this rock, you know, and, to, and, and have a drink, and here we go. And, and so he, Satan's saying all these things, and Jesus says, no. When Jesus goes and somebody says, you must be hungry, he's like, I have food you don't know of. I, I, it's, a, it's a completely radical way to live. And we don't know God this way, most of us. We just don't. We lie and say, yes, God is good, but then you don't live like it. If you truly live like God is good, when somebody says, do you want this food, we would truly be able to say, I have food you don't even know about. Now, we would do it arrogantly, right? I'm holy. And you are not as holy as me. So when we get to the cookout today, how many of you are going to be the first in line to make sure you've got bacon for your burger? Okay, all the sinners just raised their hand right there. Nobody knew what I was pointing to. How many of you are going to wait at the end of the line and go, you know what? If they're out of bacon and I'm the one without it, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not joking. How many? I will now. <laughs> I've really put it on you. Free cookout. Here's the guilt to go into it, right? Here we go. <laughs> Why is nobody eating? Um, yeah, I have food you do not know of, Pastor. Probably not the best example for today, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's the perfect example for today. It's the perfect example for today. How do we, how do we live our life if we truly know that God is good? If we truly stop looking elsewhere? John chapter 6. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Isn't that great? That just that little turn. Not whoever, it says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He doesn't say eat and drink. He uses thirst and hunger to point to belief and to coming to him. And so we, as humans who are rebels from God, who've run from God, and, and you know, some of us are Christians, and we've, we've come to him, and then we've learned to settle for God being pretty all right. Or we've sort of painted this picture of the Thomas Kincaid God, who paints all these glowy pictures and makes everything sort of bright and shiny and, and idyllic, and just, you know, it's just... 
it's sort of this netherworld, or, or God's become the sky fairy whom we just sort of, whenever we have a need, we kind of say something to God that he'll provide it. And when we talk about the great things God has done, we talk about the, you know, the free chicken sandwich that we got when I really wanted a chicken sandwich. When we had all this other food laying around, we just happened to be two minutes from home and we got a chicken sandwich or a free ice cream cone. I mean, that's the, we talk about the goodness of God in flippant and stupid ways. But we've got to watch out that we're not finding God not really that good because we've built up something bigger than what his goodness is. We've built up something that looks bigger to us, which is really an idol, and it's lesser, but it looks better to us. And so we've taken our faith and put it in these things rather than in him alone. First John 4, 8 says, God is love. He's not just good, like he's a... Like, he's a really good dancer. Like, you know, you'd go, ooh, that guy, he's a really good... Does anybody say that? You know, John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever, old school, baby. Um, we, we talk about, you know, like, God is good. Does that mean he, when he plays golf, he's always under par? You know, what does that mean? God is good. What it means is God is good to us. He's, he's, yes, he's good in that he's righteous. He always does what is right. But he is good in that he treats us so well. He, uh, listen to me now. He treats us so well that when we are going absolutely on empty, he is completely good. And if you don't trust at that moment in his goodness, if you're not the one singing, blessed be the name of the Lord when things are truly dark, then you don't get his goodness. To you, his goodness is simply giving you what you want and not entrusting that whether you have much or whether you have nothing, he is still fully good and I'm much better with nothing and dying than I am with everything and living with my stuff in my way. God is good so that we don't have to look elsewhere. And this is why it's good to ask those kind of questions like, if only blank happened, then I'd be happy. Or when, you know, when whatever, then everything will be fine in my life. You've got those answers. You can fill in those blanks. If just I would get this promotion or this job or this relationship, I know some of you are single and you're going, if I would just, if I just find that guy, if I just find that girl, and I, I, I could be truly happy. And some of you are going, if, if I could just, you know, deal with these certain feelings, these certain urges, and I could deal with that, and I could just, if, if something were there to satisfy, then, then finally I'd be, I'd be relieved. And some of you are going, if I just had that bigger house, if I could just get out of that apartment, if I could just get away from that neighbor, Right? But we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. Sometimes I get done when I'm doing a lot of coaching lately, and so I get done with baseball, and then you go to the car, and you realize I don't have anything cold to drink, but I've got a brand new water bottle that's hot because it's been sitting in the car. But I'm so thirsty, I've got to drink something, and you're drinking it, and you're like, ah, it's going down, it's just not. 
you know, there's something very not refreshing and satisfying about it. Jesus talking to this woman, talking about true worship and talking about worshiping in spirit and truth. And he is saying, there's only one person in whom you worship through, and that is Jesus. There's, there's, there's no one else. There's no way else. There's no other avenue. There's no other mountain. There's no other place. If we don't come because of Jesus and through Jesus, we'll never be satisfied. He is what we desire most, and he is the one who we usually lie about our desires and find our fulfillment in something else. Here's the truth about idolatry, and, and this is, if, if idolatry, that still is not, if it's a, if it's a new term for you, uh, just, just make it, I'll try to make it simple. Number one, trusting in something other than God is, is just plain old false, right? It's just false. It's just, it's not true. We're, we're worshiping something other than God. And, and I've, I've said this many times, um, when we don't worship or not worship, we always worship. It's either God or something else or someone else. And, and so false worship and, and is, I mean, it could be just stuff. It could be sport. It could be, you know, whatever. It could be hobbies. It could be relationships. But it, whatever those things are, it's not only false, but the pleasures that they give you are temporary. The thirst that it quenches is temporary. You'll be thirsty again. The hunger it satisfies is temporary, and you'll be hungry again. Not only that, it's destructive. I'm going to read to you from Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death. It's what it earns. We're all born as sinners. We all live in sin. And what we've earned from our life of sin and our daily sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when you're looking at what you deserve, we deserve the wages of our sin, which is death. And it's the pleasures that we get in it, and there are real pleasures or we wouldn't do it. The pleasures that we get in it are not only temporary, they don't last very long, and we need to have, do more sin to get more pleasure. And this is what we talk about, like gateway drugs, right? Where you talk about you get into something, and then you go one more step, and then one more step, and then one more, you keep going worse and worse and worse. It's not just temporary, it is destructive, it earns us death, and then it, it damages everything around us. Broken relationships, damaged bodies. We have a shamed conscience where we're always feeling guilty. And then we fill it up with more, more things to try to get rid of it. Addictions, things like that. Sin kills, but God is good so that we don't have to look. We don't have to try to sin. We don't have to, try to fulfill our longing in something or someone else. God is good so that we don't have to look elsewhere. And as much as you say God is good, you don't really believe it. Unless you've come to the place where the very worst of things that happen to you, the very worst of things, you can still right in the middle say God is very good. It doesn't mean you're, it's easy. It doesn't mean it's not painful. You don't have to lie about it. You don't, have to, you don't have to have like your legs severed and you're bleeding and you're like, oh, God is good. And you're like screaming and saying it over and over. 
That's not, that's not what we're talking about. It means that in the middle of it, when, you're, when, you, when you got your wits about you after, you know, you've gone through shock and then they're, you know, reattaching it from the shark's belly or whatever happened, as, when, when you're right there in the middle of it, you can say, God is good. He's all I need. I don't need a leg. It would help. <laughs> but when you have God and he is good, death wins you nearness to God. Isn't that amazing? Paul says what? To live is Christ and to die is gain. The person who can say that is the person who truly believes, deeply knows God is good. He's so good. No matter how bad things get, it's really, really good because I know and have God. If you don't know this God, you can only find him through Jesus, and you can only find Jesus through repentance and faith, meaning you know that you're a sinner, and so you come in repentance to say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've, I've, I, I'm running my life my own way. I'm doing my own thing, and I'm trying to be satisfied in all this other stuff and not in you, but now I know that what Jesus has done on the cross not only provides me forgiveness, but it gives me purpose, and it tells me that I don't need anything else except for him, and so I'm going to put my faith in Christ on the cross, in his body broken, his blood shed. It's all I need. You can do that now. You can do that later today. You can go, you can pray. You can talk to somebody, talk to me, and say, I want to know this Jesus. I want to have this living water. He's available. I found him when I was 21 years old, newly married. Everything was great. Everything seemed to be going so well. Our relationship, we're having a lot of fun and something wasn't satisfying. Whatever is not satisfying you, don't try to fix it by finding something that's a little more satisfying. Find it in what's truly satisfying, in Jesus Christ.